Hi, and welcome to SheQuest Podcast, a radio show that will help you not only claim your awareness around the concept of power, body, beauty, voice, and the arts of your life, but truly embody it. I'm your host, Estelle Thompson. You are here to widen your lens on the unfiltered and uncurated conversation we have in my SheQuest membership program. And best yet, you'll get real life, tangible tools to stay real and true to you. Each season, we will interview incredible, knowledgeable guests and You'll educate and uplift as we strive to live whole and not perfect. Welcome. Hi, SheQuest. Welcome to an episode with guests. I'm your host, Estelle Thompson. This fall, I wanted us to take a deeper look at the importance of our moons and our dreams. What does that look like for you? Moons and dreams have long been related to feminine magic. How does the moon cycle and season in our lives relate to our dreams and our desires? Here's to diving into a new episode for self-discovery and radical transformation. So this isn't the first time at SheCrest that we talk about menstrual cycle awareness, But it's really the first time that we look specifically at menopause and perimenopause. So for this, I'm so thrilled to have reached out to Jen Salib-Huber, who's a Canadian registered dietitian, naturopathic doctor. And after completing her degree in nutrition from Acadia University, became a registered dietitian. And she went on to study naturopathic medicine in Toronto. In practice for more than 16 years, she helps women navigate the physical and emotional changes that happen in perimenopause and menopause, including the search for food freedom and body confidence. I can't wait to talk about that. (laughs) Working from a health uh, at every size approach, she teaches women to become intuitive eaters and build body confidence in the 30s, 40s, and 50s well-versed in the integrative treatment option available to women in midlife. She helped women uh, come up with treatment strategy that meets their unique needs for a better menopause. She strongly believes that women need to come together to normalize this experience and offers small online group programs to help women feel their best. Her online program, The Thinking Woman's Guide to Perimenopause, is a four-week program to um, open women to any stage of peri and menopause who are looking to regain confidence in their bodies and themselves. Hi, Jen. Hi, <laughs> Thank you so much for your time and coming on the show. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm really excited to be here. Me too, me too. Um, so my first question always is, what makes you feel alive today? Adventure. Um, In the big sense, you know, I think that adventure as an adult is that opportunity for surprise. And the element of surprise is missing. And I know it was missing in my life for a long time um, because life just got really routine and predictable. And for me, joy is an adventure. So now that I'm 
on this little bit of a, an overseas adventure for the next couple of years and trying to find the adventure in every day. I love that. I love that so much. It's so in line with Chiquis and that word, like being on a quest and adventure. I love that so much. And perhaps you can tell us, um, I know I said your bio kind of in terms of education, but can you tell us here, we call it um, our, you know, our she stories, our ever evolving she stories. So how did you end up being overseas? Tell us all about that. Well, I don't know how far I go back. I <laughs> go back. Well, you grew up in Nova Scotia. No, I didn't. So we'll go back a little further oh. than that. Um, okay. So I was born in Nova Scotia, but moved to New Brunswick when I was before I was a year old, and uh, spent most of my life there. And uh, then came back to Nova Scotia to go to university. Um, you know, met my partner, did the whole long distance relationship. Came back to Nova Scotia got married, started working, settled down and kind of felt, you know, like that that was kind of the end of, or not the end, but that I had kind of arrived right into adulthood. I had checked off all those boxes and, and life was really good. Um, and then a couple of years ago, I had a pretty big shakeup in my world in that I found out through a DNA test that, um, that I was donor conceived. So my biological father wasn't my biological father, still very much my dad, no question about that. Um, but that I genetically wasn't who I thought I was. So at 41, that was a really big shakeup. And it came with a lot of lovely surprises in that I now have this huge bonus family of nine half siblings, you know, 23 nieces and nephews. Um, the donor family himself and his extended family are now kind of part of our bonus family. So uh, my world got really big. And really small at the same time. So that was kind of most of 2018. And then in 2019, very unexpectedly, my husband was offered the opportunity to work overseas for a few years. And in a beautiful universal coincidence, um, allowed us to live in the same city as one of my half-sisters, which happened to be in The Hague in the Netherlands. So it seemed very meant to be that we needed to say yes to this adventure. And uh, so I uh, was able to pass the reins of my clinic in, in Dartmouth to uh, the chiropractor that I had worked with, one of my really good friends, so that that project was able to continue to be the wonderful, caring space that it is, um, just not under my guidance anymore. And we were able to pick up our family and, and move halfway around the world and start this new adventure. Wow. I'm just kind of floored how, like you said, something that kind of marked me, like, so you were 41 when all this kind of blew up. Um, yeah. It must have felt maybe a bit like an identity crisis or? Oh, it a thousand percent was an identity crisis. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I mean, I thought that I was half Egyptian, you know, the dad that raised me, um, who passed away many years ago, more than a decade ago. But, you know, I, I was under the impression that I was half Egyptian my whole life. Um, you know, and come to find out I'm like 90% Scottish. <laughs> so, wow. Yeah. Um, but it's been amazing because, um, you know, through getting to know this extended family of absolutely beautiful souls, um, you know, I have learned so much about myself because yeah. I've been able to identify parts of myself in other people, which isn't something that I ever had. Being an only child, coming from a small family where most of my dad's family was overseas, so I never really got the chance to know them anyway. 
um, you know, this, this was more than an identity crisis. It was like an identity earthquake. Wow. Yeah. What an initiation. <laughs> wow. And then now you're in the Netherlands. Do you work as a naturopath there? I'm doing a little bit of everything right now. So yeah. this, is a, this is kind of a temporary move for our family. So the plan is that in the next few years, um, we will certainly return to Nova Scotia. So, um, you know, I really wanted to still be able to work with the people that I had been working with um, and helping for the, you know, the last 16 years. And so most of the work that I'm doing now is online, still primarily with Canadians. So any kind of one-on-one work I'm still doing with uh, mainly people who are living in the Maritimes, but as part of trying to serve a larger community and, you know, realizing that there are people all around the world going through this experience. Uh, I've also developed the Thinking Woman's Guide to Menopause, which is the four-week program. Amazing. And I want to, I want us to dive deep into that. And uh, I want you to talk more about your program uh, just later on in the show, because first, I just want to go back to the basic with this episode, I feel. And like, I feel we have, like, obviously an understanding of what menopause is, but can you give us, like, just a running kind of, like, definition? Uh, like, what is it? And, I mean, I know it's complex, but can you break it down for us? And then what does a menopause nutritionist do? You know, kind of medically speaking, we can divide the phases into chunks of time. So premenopause is kind of everything through your childbearing years perimenopause is the period of time which can be up to 10 years before menopause and menopause is actually one day menopause is the you know the day that marks 12 months since your last period and everything after that is postmenopause so the terms are often used kind of interchangeably but i yeah. would say that most of the time when women say that they're in menopause, they're actually in perimenopause because it's often still that period of time when they're still having periods, but they're having a whole host of symptoms that they didn't have when they were premenopausal, if that makes sense. Oh my God, my, my mind is blown right now, Jen. <laughs> Wait, like menopause is like one day, what? <laughs> yeah. So you know, that's the strictly medical, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. of it. You know, when we work with, when I work with women in perimenopause, I'm often talking about this as being a season in their lives, right? So, you know, we have our teenage season and we have our, you know, our 20s and our childbearing season. And, you know, this kind of perimenopause is another season, right? So it comes with changes that are sometimes physical, sometimes mental, sometimes emotional. We can have sunny days, we can have hurricanes, like there's so much going on. Um, but a big part of what I do in my work is acknowledging and addressing the emotional side of menopause as much as the physical, because one of the things that we've learned through research is that women who feel informed and empowered about the experience um, have a much better kind of positive outlook about it, both during and after. So that's one of the the big things that I focus on is how can we empower women so that this is a positive experience instead of the negative one that culture has really imposed on us. Ah, it really has. Not just like negative, but like almost like shame. Well, not just almost like yeah. a lot of you know and just like the hiding thing I mean in periods with having periods like in general this like need to hide and stuff I'm just so over it <laughs> I'm so over it. the language that's used right we talk about ovaries shriveling up 
you know, we don't talk about, um, you know, the beautiful transitions that can come from not being, you know, bathed in estrogen all the time, right? So, you know, estrogen is our nurturing hormone. So this is the hormone that as my friend, Sarah, who's also a naturopath, um, defines it as the hormone that helps us not to eat our babies, right? So, <laughs> I love it. Right. So, um, you know, full credit to Sarah Bailey for anyone who knows her in Halifax. That's definitely her tagline. But, you know, it is it is the hormone that helps us to nurture. It is and it doesn't matter whether that's a baby or a job or a project or a cookbook, whatever it is, you have a strong desire to support, nurture and grow and see this project to kind of completion. Um, and th when that changes, so when you're no longer in that estrogen based soup, you feel like who you are is changing, right? Mm -hmm. So women will say, I don't know who I am anymore. I'm angry. I'm irritable. I can't sleep. I have all this stuff going on. And when we really break it down, it's not so much that they're, you know, not sleeping it's that the not sleeping is making them feel like they don't have their have the control that they used to have over their lives mm. or that they're no longer in a place to feel like they're confident in their decision making skills or 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 like there's so many you know kind of outcomes that come from the symptoms that we're not talking about we're only talking about the symptoms so when we start talking about how these things are affecting women, we really start to get to the root of why menopause is so turbulent. You speak so beautifully. And one thing that has come up over like, well, two things that are coming in my mind right now, but uh, the first one from the community, she quests is like how nobody tells you you're going to grieve your period. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like you're going to grieve, you know, th that, cycles and expecting it and like do you do you want to speak to this a little yeah you know I think that again like the seasons right so yeah. for 20 plus years of your life when you're in the your reproductive prime um you have a predictable season right you know summer spring winter fall and then all of a sudden you're in the Sahara desert for nine months of the year um, or all of a sudden you find yourself in the Arctic and you you just don't know your landscape. You look around, you don't recognize the plants, you don't know, you know, what's going on. You don't know the people, you don't know where your way around. And so everything just sometimes feels really hard. So for women, I think a lot of what they're grieving with the loss of that regular cycle is the loss of familiarity that has come from having those predictable regular cycles. That part the, the emotional experience of menopause is probably the least talked about. And when I have conversations with women, it's probably the most important conversation we have. Yes, uh, I agree. I agree so much. Oh, I have so many questions for you, Jen. So many. And also I asked the SheQuest community for those that are listening uh, to, to answer some questions with Jen. Really so, we're so grateful she's accepted uh, to answer those. So really stay tuned for those are going to be later on the show. But and I love all the metaphors you take. And, and I guess, you know, having done this podcast for a year now, we always make the connection between, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, like you're kind of on a mission, um, you know, with, the, you know, talking awareness with perimenopause and menopause. And so is there a link with your own story with that? Like, is, is, th is that how it's influenced your life or? My longer story is that I have hated my period for most of my life. I was um, one of those people that from day one, periods were never comfortable. 
Um, I, you know, was diagnosed with endometriosis when I was 17. I've had half a dozen surgeries for that. You know, I've had two complicated births and C-sections. And so my uterus was just never something that I connected to on a grateful level, other than giving me my children. You know, it was something that it was like, oh, I can't wait for menopause. And um, one of my family's gifts to me has been early menopause. So my, my mom and my grandmother and many of the women in my family go into menopause early. Um, and so at 43, I'm actually almost there. Like I'm, I'm at the stage now where probably in the next year or two, I won't be having periods anymore. And so I kind of leapt into this journey at 36, which is definitely on the younger side. Um, but it, what it really did is it allowed me to kind of get there a little bit before my peers. And so at 43, I'm, you know, feel like I have so much experience personally that I can add to my professional experience to really help women on their journey. I love that. And what a, I'm just fascinating about how like our stories, like our karma becomes our dharma. You know, like like I love that. And that's why I love kind of making that connection because everybody that comes on the podcast is on like a bigger mission than themselves, you know, and it's from something that's happened to them. Like, like the fact that you hated your period. Now you help women like have smooth transitions. Like how how amazing is that? You know, Uh, and you didn't, you you know, you didn't ask to have like, you know, awful periods all your life and complicated births and all that. And then look what's, you know, you made flowers out of like something really sucky, you know? Yeah. And, you know, it's funny because now that I'm, you know, having periods very infrequently and with absolutely no regularity, I am cherishing the ones that I do have now, you know, mm-hmm. um, it's kind of like I pre, it's kind of like, you know, when you have a baby that's becoming a toddler and then a kid and you're in those kind of in between stages where you start to recognize like this might be the last time, right? This might be the last time they climb into my lap or this might be the last time they hold my hand. I have that kind of relationship now with my period where I'm like, okay, um, you know, you're still a lot of work but I'm glad that you're here for another time. And um, this might be the end. Who knows? I love it. So tell us like, how can we, and I know it's like a really broad question. And I, I assume that it's, you know, you know, very personal to every woman. And um, you mentioned having the condition, what's it called? And Endometriosis. Yes. Sorry. <laughs> and so I know that differs a lot, but in general, um, how can we have smoother, like for me, for example, uh, you know, I'm about to be 39. So I know I'm kind of entering that early kind of like probably in 10 years, I'll be, you know, I'll have my menopause. Like how, how can we have a smooth transition? You know, and you can talk about food because I know that's really your area as well. Yeah. So this, yeah, it's a huge answer. Um, if I'm, (laughs) (laughs) if I'm starting from the top, I think that going into perimenopause with the mindset that change happens and, you know, the cultural narrative has been to fight aging tooth and nail, right? So, you know, you have to, keep trying to lose weight and use wrinkle cream and, you know, do all these things that are, you know, kind of trying to deny that aging is happening. And menopause causes women to kind of deviate from their ideological bodily norms, right? Both in appearance and function. And our culture hasn't been very accepting of that. So I think that a lot of what we need to do as women as 50% of the population 
is helping to change that narrative and starting with our own thoughts about aging. So recognizing that this is something we all go through. There isn't a woman on earth who escapes this, right? Um, you know, but just like seasons vary from in different parts of the world, some women, you know, are definitely more symptomatic than others. Um, but when it comes to how do we set ourselves up for success for a better menopause, it's very much based on a foundation of self-care that's rooted in self-compassion. So uh, using food as an example, so many women go into menopause feeling like they're on shaky ground with their relationship with food. They're still maybe um, very much in diet culture, very much feeling like they have to continue to try and lose weight or prevent weight gain or be constantly working to try and change how their body looks. And that's not rooted in self-care. And a lot of the behaviors around diet culture are the absolute opposite of self-compassion. So recognizing that change happens, that sometimes it's not always a bad thing. Um, you know, looking at women's bodies changing, um, you know, women, almost all women, 80% gain a bit of weight in perimenopause. And that probably means it's normal. And so if you're trying to support that change with, you know, self-care and self-compassion, it's recognizing that this happens to everyone, that it's not your fault. It's nothing that you did. It's, you know, what your hormones are trying to do to maybe beef up your estrogen a little bit because fat produces estrogen um, that helps to protect your heart and your bones and your brain. And, you know, using that paradigm to break the association that, you know, you need to lose weight to be healthy is um, is another part of that foundation. So when I work with women, and I think all women experience body changes that are unfamiliar, can be a little scary, maybe are completely unwelcome. But if we're only using weight as a barometer for success, if we're only looking at the number on the scale to gauge whether our efforts have been worth it, that's probably not going to work, right? So when I work with women to say, okay, how can we set you up for success? Let's Let's figure out what food helps you to feel good, um, you know, mentally, physically, and emotionally. Food should be pleasurable. You should be able to enjoy what you're eating. You shouldn't have to base all of your food decisions based on calories. Um, you want to move your body in ways that feel good, right? So, um, And not just ways that burn calories, right? So, so often women really benefit from those nurturing practices like yoga, but maybe feel like it's not enough of a workout. So they're choosing something that they don't enjoy as much because it helps them to sweat more, but at the end of the day, doesn't support their journey to a better menopause. If that makes sense. Oh, that makes so much sense. And it's such like, it's such an important conversation. You know, I find that we're not having, <laughs> like we're not, we're not having that conversation and we're just kind of stuck with our own kind of inner dialogue. And and I wanted to ask you, um, is there like hands-on way, like you, um, from what you were saying, like there's a big, it feels there's a big focus on like aging, you know, our yeah. own relationship with aging and our own relationship with like our weight. Two subjects I find are just loaded for us, you know, as yeah. women. Um, and I'm, I'm wondering if like with your patients, um, because at SheQuest we do, I love to get really hands-on with that kind of really internal dialogue, or I don't want to call it inner critic, but like, you know, 
what we deal with, when we deal with soul, it's so abstract and so metaphor. Like, is there a hands-on ways, like whether it be like, like right now, I literally, as you were speaking, I was, I wrote a note journal about aging. <laughs> like I've never journaled about aging, you know, like, I mean, actually I've written about like my hair cause I have quite dark hair. So like I've had, you know, white, you know, white coming out for like five, six years now. Um, so I have written about that, but, um, do you know where I'm going with this? Like, yeah. is there a hand on ways we can just start to look at our own shit when it comes to like, and I know that too is kind of like personal and stuff, but is there something you really recommend? So 50% of women are surprised when perimenopause happens, mm. um, which is a statistic that is crazy, right? So um, I use the analogy of pregnancy. So can you imagine if 50% of women were surprised by a pregnancy? We'd say that, <laughs> we would say that our sex education is failing miserably, right? Um, but because we prepare, you know, women and men for, you know, their reproductive lives and we have prenatal education and we teach, you know, sex ed and menstrual cycles in school and all that kind of stuff, most people aren't surprised. Some are, but most people aren't surprised when they're pregnant. Celebrate your innate talents and radiance with gifts for the creative soul. Buy me your news fairy, Estelle. Visually magic paper products that are proudly painted in coastal Cowboy, Nova Scotia and printed locally here in Halifax. This year, I made my third large wall calendar. It is published independently. Each month is bursting with flowers and butterflies to add a spark of magic to your life. And guess what? The SheQuest Planner is back in full force helping you plan, journal, exercise your creativity. This book is filled with your favorite sheet art and words. I swear, this planner is everything to help you live aware, bold, and whole. Both the Magic Garden Calendar and the SheQuest Planner are seasonal products. And once they are gone, they are gone. Order today at www.estellethompson.com slash paper slash shop or simply copy paste the link from your show notes. Happy holidays. The biggest thing that women can do is to just immerse themselves in understanding what menopause is. Because unfortunately, their healthcare providers may not really be on the up and up. I had this conversation with someone today that a lot of healthcare providers are still working from um, the mindset that you don't need to treat anything until a woman's 50, right? That she can't be in menopause until she's 50, but that's crazy. The average age of menopause is 52, but that doesn't mean that, you know, things can't be addressed before that. So immersing yourself in information and finding your tribe, you know, we need to be, we need to be like the orcas and the elephants that, you know, have, you know, who put the elder women at the head of their tribe as the wise ones, the leaders um, that, you know, have gone before them and, you know, been there and done that. We need to have, you know, this this community of crones, you know, who can really just kind of hold our hands through this and so that it, it isn't as scary, that it doesn't seem as you know, discombobulating, that we're not constantly feeling like we're making our way in the dark.
So the hands-on approach is to just start immersing yourself in everything that you can read and everything that you can do to become informed about what's happening. And, you know, not only research, but my experience says that it's a game changer in how women experience the transition. I have this beautiful vision as you were talking of the orcas and the elephants. I love it. I got like full body shivers uh, hearing you say this. It's really a beautiful vision. And I think the more of us, you know, has this awareness and this vision, it's really going to happen. Like, I really believe that. One of my favorite, um, you know, it's not a saying, I guess, but, um, you know, kind of philosophies around menopause and, and women is that when our reproduction stops, women are free to lead. Because we're no longer immersed in that estrogen that is really kind of urging us to give our energy outwards, right? To nurture, to grow. Um, you know, we're we're able to turn that in. We're able to become creative again. We're able to really devote our energy to ourselves. And so when our reproduction stops, it's not it, it's an end of reproduction, but it's the beginning of being free to lead. I can't wait. And it's funny, I'm going to share something now because like when I decided, I, I don't know if you know my story, but I lost my son. He yeah. was so yeah. And, and then shortly after I got pregnant again and I had a, a late miscarriage at, at 15 weeks, yeah. I, like I was in a really obviously painful week. And then I just woke up one day and I was like, that's like, I don't want any more kids. Like I want to give all that love I was able to mm. give my and to my you know I was like no I think it's time I feel really emotional talking about but you know I I'm I want to give it back to me now that love and I think it's really at this point that I was like it was such a deep freedom that came over me because I decided I wasn't gonna have any more kids do you know what I mean I was like it was like such a relief and I I it's funny because sometimes like when I, I'm I'm ovulating, you know, I get this like instinct, like, oh, maybe I want another baby. <laughs> and then I remember that moment, that freedom that I felt. I'm like, oh no, I'm good. Like <laughs> I'm good. And it feels that essence really feels like the menopause essence where it's like, I'm free now, you know, to nurture kind of myself. It's amazing, it, you know, and I think that that's an amazing story that lots of women can relate to because that that ovulatory urge to reproduce can be really strong, right? Yeah. You know, and can sometimes overwhelm our thinking brains, right? So, you know, I think that when you can come to that decision and be really at peace with it, despite still having regular cycles, I, I think that's something to celebrate. Yes, absolutely. Um, so anyways, thank you for, for listening to, to that because I, I felt really, it's beautiful, free to lead. Wow. I think that's going to be the title of our podcast, Jen. Oh. <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. So um, I want to go into questions that yeah. the audience had. And it's just, this is a bit of a new feature I'm, I'm adding to just get more, like I'm having, you know, incredible guests just like you come and um, to, you know, what the community wants to hear. And the questions I thought were just really like fucking good. <laughs> So we're going to go. And the first one, I was like, oh, my God, this is such a fun. And also some things that, that I didn't, you know, think about asking you. So I'm really glad I did. 
Um, so are you ready? Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> so the first question is, does menopause affect women differently who had children or with, like, is it different if you've had children or not? Is it better if you've had children or is it worse? Like what, what's the, what's the rule here? The I don't rule. think there is a rule there. Um, I think that the experiences can be different even for women, depending on when they have their kids, right? So if you have kids in your twenties, by the time that you go into perimenopause, they've already left the house, right? So chances are your experience would be like someone who didn't have children. Whereas if you had children later in life and you're going through perimenopause and changing diapers at the same time, um, you're going to have a really different experience than someone who had, you know, kids when they were 29. So I don't know that they're different, but I think that the presence of children, whether or not you have children, definitely pulls you in many directions as you're going through this change in your hormonal suit, for sure. So I guess it makes me think of like the culture aspect or like again like things the environment can like differ from the experience of menopause that you have yeah sure yeah I mean the environment um you know stress is a huge one Um, I've devoted an entire module to it in my program because it has effects you know reaching far beyond just menopause but yeah I think that I think that that could be a show in and of itself but it's definitely um it's it's influenced by many factors um, the presence of children more so than whether you have them or not, um, I think is probably the bigger factor. Another question we had is how does birth control affect menopause and should we be taking it, um, should we be taking birth control coming into perimenopause and menopause? Yeah, I mean, it, that's a difficult question to answer because um, the pill creates Uh, a hormonal environment where you don't ovulate, right? That's the whole point of it. And when you don't ovulate, you're not producing your body, your own progesterone and your, your own estrogen levels are being suppressed by the estrogen levels that are in the pill. So it's hard to compare apples to apples because the environments are completely different. A lot of women do go into perimenopause still on the pill from maybe having taken it, you know, kind of in their earlier life. And it can be sometimes difficult for us to know if their symptoms are related to perimenopause or not, because the pill is masking those. So one of the big um, things that we use to help determine where women are in their perimenopause journey is their cycles, right? Because we don't really have a test for perimenopause. There's no blood test. Um, There's no real way to say yes or no, other than looking at your cycles. And so if you're not having, you know, your own cycles, you're having, you know, the withdrawal bleeds that come from the pill, it can be really hard to determine, A, whether you're in perimenopause and B, what symptoms might be related to it. So I do often suggest that women consider coming off the pill, even for just a period of three to six months to help figure that out. And many of them find that they feel better off of it. Um, But, you know, that's a very personal decision, obviously. Yeah. And I find like just stories like just coming from a traditional medical system, how a lot of times the pill is given when you're, you have menstrual problem. Is yeah. that, am I correct when yeah. I say that? Yeah. And it's not so much that it solves them. It just creates a different cycle. Right. Right. So, um, you know, it it suppresses ovulation so that you're not having a real period, which is, you know, built from the lining building up and shedding from the hormonal change. 
um, it's what's called a withdrawal bleed. So you stop the hormones, you bleed for a few days, and then you start them over again. Um, it can certainly, I think, um, change the experience of the symptoms, but it doesn't get to the root of why it's happening. So another question was, do antidepressant have an effect on menopause symptoms? And um, the person who said who said this, she has she has a sleep disorder. Yep. Um, so does that, you know, she just wants to know if it aggravates or improves symptoms if she's on antidepressant or... Yeah, well, antidepressants, interestingly, have been used a lot in the last 10 to 15 years for some symptoms of perimenopause, especially hot flashes. There was a big, big study that came out um, about 15 years ago called the Women's Health Initiative that found that there was concerns around breast cancer risk and hormone replacement therapy. So there was a big push to find alternatives to that. And one of them was antidepressants. So many, many, many women have been prescribed antidepressants with mixed results. I don't think that it hurts anything. So if she's at all concerned that maybe taking this is having a negative effect on her perimenopause, I don't think that's the case. Um, But some women who are prescribed it for hot flashes or night sweats, um, have mixed results. And and the literature kind of supports that too, that it's okay for some women, but it's it's not necessarily the most effective treatment. And then another question was about magnesium. Um, yeah. Can you tell us of the role of magnesium, like research around it, or is it something like very common to start taking magnesium? Once yeah, you... magnesium is one of my favorite minerals of all time. So oh, yeah. <laughs> tell us why. So it's a mineral that um, we get from food that is grown in soil, and we definitely need quite a bit of it. And we're not getting as much as probably we would like, um, mainly because we're not eating as many things that are grown from the soil. And some of the things that are being grown in soil, the soil is deficient. Um, So, you know, we're not rotating our crops, we're, you know, overusing the land, that kind of stuff. So some estimates are that people are, you know, generally deficient. Um, But it's difficult to tell because blood magnesium, like measuring your blood levels for magnesium, really only tells us how much is available to your heart and your heart needs it the most. So you always want to make sure that you have enough for your heart. Um, But we don't know how much we can store. So it's difficult to know if someone's getting enough or not. But based on the fact that, um, you know, food diaries and some of that, you know, qualitative research tells us that "Mm, probably not. I often will recommend magnesium, and there are three different types, um, main types. So the first is magnesium oxide, which is cheap and easy. You can pick it up anywhere. Um, it can work for some people, but it, its most common side effect is that it can cause diarrhea. So it's an osmotic laxative. So for many people, magnesium oxide. Magnesium citrate is the next one, which is probably the most common, um, acts less like a laxative and has some pretty decent absorption. And then the last one is magnesium glycinate, which is the one that I would often use most often because it um, helps the most with sleep and relaxation. Ooh, I think I need that one. (laughs) (laughs) Where do you, can you get that one in like any whole food store? Most health food stores would carry um, most of those. Um, You know, it's always probably a good idea to talk to someone before starting something. So either a naturopathic doctor, doctor, somebody who has some knowledge around what maybe some of the side effects might be for you or any drug interactions, that kind of thing. Okay. Wow. And uh, thank you for all this. And uh, 
Would before we switch gears a little bit, can you talk to us about this wonderful program that you've created that sounds just really incredible and full of knowledge and uh, yeah, just tell us about it. Yeah, so I created the, it, it, the, it's called the Thinking Woman's Guide to Menopause and it's very much rooted in an idea of I want women to understand what's happening. Um, you know, not menopause isn't a disease. It doesn't need to be treated. But I always use the analogy that we can take the bumpy road or we can take the paved road. We're going to get to Rome either way. But <laughs> how you get there is up to you. And when women understand when something's happening, so when they understand why they get hot flashes for three days before their period, or when they understand why their ability to cope with stress feels compromised, they're in a much better place to understand it, and they're in a much better place to be able to handle it, right? So, um, and to be able to make the choice, right? To say, is this something that I feel like I need to treat at this point in my life right now, or is this something that I'm just going to ride out? So, so much of it is based on helping women to understand what stage they're in, um, also helping them to understand what treatment options are available to them, both integrative and conventional, because there's always a place for both. So, um, you know, helping people to understand what the different treatment options are, again, so that they can feel empowered when they're starting to go through these symptoms. But all of the parts of the program are rooted in intuitive eating. So um, intuitive eating is my passion and helping people to develop a relationship with food that nurtures them physically and mentally and emotionally. So um, helping them to try on food changes that aren't rule-based, right? So that they don't feel like they get a pass-fail. Um, so that they can really try something on and evaluate it as, you know, is this something that's good for me? Is this something that's working for me? Um, so, you know, and all of that coming together with a small group of women, 10 to 12 people per group, so that we can just share our experiences because sharing them normalizes it. And when you realize that most women go through some of what you're going through, you feel less alone, you feel more empowered, and you feel hopeful. So that's, um, that's kind of been my little passion project, especially since moving. And, uh, and, I, and I love every, every group it has just been a unique mix of women and just a really, really great experience for everyone. Mm, well, we feel your passion as you as you speak. And also, I might have to have you back on the podcast to talk about intuitive eating. Because that's another, that. you know, subject not often spoken about. I love to know. <laughs> I'm kind of obsessed with knowing and it's actually really inspiring to me. I want to know if just switching gears a little bit, but your own kind of favorite personal tools for self-growth? Like, do you have daily soul rituals, things you do to crown yourself and just center in and like be? I'm a type A personality and that's something <laughs> I have recognized in myself for a long time. So I'm full of yang. And as I go through menopause and become more yin deficient, I definitely have to work at grounding myself more. And for me, grounding myself is moving my body. So any way that I can move my body gets me out of my head, right? So um, finding ways to move my body every day in ways that are joyful is probably my most um, reliable soul ritual. And then the next is creating with food. So cooking, um, when I need to create, nourish my creative spirit, I cook. Um, when I need to get out of my head for a little bit and focus on, you know, something other than, you know, what my brain wants me to do, uh, creating something, especially a soup. Soups are like my favorite thing to cook. I don't know if it's what it is, but just putting it all together and seeing what turns out. 
um, you know, those are, those are probably my two most reliable rituals are cooking and joyful movement. Well, we, we are pretty kindred soul sisters in that, in that manner because actually this is something I rec- like I do. I Making soup has been so healing for me. Like I love like the ritual, like cutting the vegetables yeah. and like the onions and the garlic and uh, the roots vegetables. And I usually like uh, this is a ritual after I travel, not, not, not that I've done that any time recently, but. <laughs> Um, when I come back from traveling, you know, I've been on so many planes, like that's the thing, even before like doing a yoga practice, because I'm still so like, kind of uh, like in the like airport vibes and stuff, I, I go and I make a freaking soup yeah. and I eat it. And it's like the best grounding thing you could ever do. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Yeah. And I think there's something with roots vegetables too, that like mm-hmm. feels mm-hmm. really grounding. Would you agree? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Amazing. Um, okay, so the last questions, Jen, are just kind of fun, kind yeah. of quick answers. Are you ready? Yes, I'm ready. Do you have a favorite mantra? Recently, my favorite mantra, uh, and I use it with the kids too, is that we can do hard things. So just because something is hard doesn't mean we don't do it. So I, I have to remind myself of that as an adult, and that's something I'm trying to pass on to the kids too, that we can do hard things. How many kids do you have? I have three. Wow. Uh, What age are they? Uh, My oldest just turned 13 and my youngest two are twins and they're 10 and a half. Wow. And how are they finding, this is like completely off dialogue here, but how are they finding living aboard, like overseas? Good. I mean, you know, we arrived in November and then COVID hit in March. So we were really just getting settled when we kind of had to hunker down and isolate. So it's been, it's been weird, but at the same time, I think we've tried to make the most of it in that the whole country is new to us, right? So, you know, we still have things, you know, that are within 10 kilometers of our house that we haven't explored. So um, being able to do that on a bike is really fun because everybody bikes here and, uh, but they've been doing really well. So cool. All right. I was just curious because like, I feel a lot of families, want to venture that kind of try that you know like just move somewhere else for a couple years and so I just yeah I was just curious about that um what about a favorite book uh that you've read about menopause that you recommend us you know it probably the one that I'm reading right now I really really enjoy um it's called the slow moon climbs by Susan Mattern and it's about a little bit more about like the sociology and the science of menopause through different cultures so it's pretty fascinating um but I also read a really funny one lately uh called flash count diary um and I don't know what back when I was pregnant with my oldest I think it was Jenny McCarthy who'd written a book called belly laughs or something and it was like a really quick read and it was just about all the funny things that happen when you're pregnant uh flash count diary is along that line too so those are probably two recent ones cool and we'll have to put them in the show notes um and actually this makes me think of a question I, I wanted to ask you about uh one one that I get all the time because uh, you know, I do yoga classes with the inner seasons of the cycle. Like mm-hmm. that's been really a changer for me where I've really adjusted my yoga practice to uh, my monthly cycles. But then my ladies, you know, that are in perimenopause or don't have mm-hmm. um, uh, have irregular cycles or are in menopause, they always ask me, okay, well, how do I sync that? And I always tell them to go inner spring would be the new moon. And then you know, uh, winter would be full moon. Am I correct? Is that like, 
Um, I feel I I read that in many literature, but can can you maybe just talk about this for like a minute? Yeah. And I think that, I I mean, I've read that many, many times too. Um, And I've also, you know, obviously the moon has an effect on us. Um, And I think that, you know, when you read about people who spend more time outside, their cycles are synced that way a little bit more. So it seems reasonable to use that, I think, as a guide. Um, But I, yeah, I don't know that I have a whole lot of experience around that. I have so many more questions, but I'm just going to have to to shut it for a little. What about a favorite podcast? Um, My current favorite podcast is I Way, uh, Jamil's podcast. She is a fabulous interviewer, and I love her podcast. Cool. We'll have to put that one in the show notes, too. I've never heard of it. And are you a books person or like Kindle? Um, I'm, I, well, both, but now that we're kind of nomadic a little bit, uh, I definitely love my e-reader because I can have like 10 books on the go and it just fits in my purse. And what about like a favorite treat? Do you have any treat can be? Anything salted caramel. (laughs) Amazing. And I have one last question and it's a loaded question, but, um, I love to kind of finish on a high note and it's, you know, what do you wish for this new world? Like I really feel since, especially since the pandemic and having to like slow Mm -hmm. down, like we, we've made way like a clearing for like a new kind of world that we're creating as women. Like, you know, what do you wish for this new world? I think just one that supports, women in all stages, um, you know, recognizing that people all have value and that isn't tied to their age, that isn't tied to their productivity, that isn't, you know, tied to those conventional measures of success. And so, so many women, um, when they reach kind of their 40s and 50s, you know, feel like they have an added glass ceiling, right? So not only are they now, you know, faced with maybe ageism, but they're also not considered youthful and aren't considered as valuable to society as they once were, which is ridiculous, right? Because how many women do you know who have, you know, created their entire kind of business after the age of 45, right? I can think of five people off the top of my head. So I think breaking through the barrier that women are less productive after 40 um, would something that I would love to see as part of this new world. I love, I love it. And I love you, Jen. I love you. We'll have to have you back because you're just so well-spoken and knowledgeable and passionate and really everything we look for and like bringing more expertise into uh, our SheQuest community and beyond. I just, I want to thank you so much for your time and being here and your, your presence, which is just so lovely. So lovely. I'm so glad we connected. I loved this. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. I'm so happy. I'm so happy. Um, where, where can we find you and how can we support the beautiful world, the beautiful work that you're putting out in the world? Yeah. So you can find me on my website which is jensalubhuber.ca and uh, on social media most active on instagram at menopause.nutritionist again jen thank you so much for being here take good care thank you you too This podcast was produced by Tosh Taylor of the Podcast Hub Productions. Find her online at podcasthub.ca.